Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Career Medis Podcast. This is your host, Nisar Ahmed. This is episode 99 of the podcast. And this particular episode is part of the Career Expert series. And if this is the first time you're joining us, just to give you some perspective, what I've done in the Career Perspective series, I've brought on guests who are career coaches, career experts, professionals, practitioners. And what they do is they, they, they share their ideas, their expert advice on what are some of the things today's job seeker can do to stand out and get and secure that job offer? And uh, for today's expert series episode, we'll be hearing and learning from Austin Balkak. He's the founder of cultivatedculture.com. Through his website, he teaches people how to use unconventional strategies to land jobs they love in today's market without connections without traditional experience and without applying online. I mean, that itself is very, very exciting. I myself have a lot of questions to ask, but before that, I wanted to introduce Austin to the show. Hey, Austin, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Nassar, thank you so much for having me. So I should have asked this question before we got started. Did I say your name correct? <laughs> uh, so it's it's pronounced Belsack, but I think we, we had a similar conversation on the interview that we did where <laughs> there are so many different variations these days that that. It's kind of unfazing, but um, no, definitely Austin Belsack is is the pronunciation, but anything works. I apologize. Uh, no worries. Uh, Don't be sorry at all. No, it's it's actually good to always, when you, before you start an, an interview, you always ask, uh, you always want to make sure these things are taken care of and, you know, this, and it's always good to do that. So thanks for uh, being kind and not being, you know, uh, unhappy about that, but thank you for that. Uh, Austin, uh, Welcome. Before we get started, I, I, I have a lot of questions to ask you based on what I read on your website, based on the conversations we had. Mm-hmm. But where are you calling from? That's the first question I always ask my guests. Definitely. So I'm in uh, New York City, the Big Apple. Now, New York is a city that does not need an introduction. No matter where <laughs> you're listening to the show, you probably know something or a lot of things about New York. Uh, Austin, maybe you can help us out. Is there something that you'd like to share with us, like a fun fact? about New York that, you know, unless someone lives there, would not know? Definitely. I think you hear a lot about New York water from uh, people who don't live in the city. And, and I thought it was kind of like, you know, I thought it was kind of made up a little bit of BS that, you know, New York's water would be vastly different or better than anywhere else. But once you move here, um, it, it's really true. And it's funny, we were on a food tour, my fiance and my family and I, a couple of weeks ago. And they actually told us that the water for the city comes from a place in the Catskills and they actually have like a private security force that completely locks down the whole area. So basically, New York's water has its own little private army guarding it. But it truly is the reason, you know, the bagels and the pizza and all that are, are pretty amazing here. So I thought that was a fun little little tidbit that I learned recently. After having lived in the city for four years, I, I feel like I learned something new every day. That's fantastic. And it, that, that's what is, this is the reason I asked this question because anyone living in a particular city would be able to tell you more, something interesting than you picking up a travel guide or watching it online. So, but that, that's interesting. My previous guest 
from the last episode was also from New York. Dig told me something new and this is amazing as well. So without further ado, I want to get into the topic and the whole concept of unconventional job strategies. Why did you name your company or web, uh, or your, your brand as Cultivated Culture? I'm curious. Yeah, that's a great question. And there, there isn't a truly amazing or cool or quirky story behind it. To be honest, it kind of stemmed from something that you and I talked about in the episode we recorded from my site, which was just getting started when it comes to personal branding. So I had been working full time for a while. I just landed a job at Microsoft when I decided to start Cultivated Culture. And I, I knew that I wanted to start something and I had this whole article in mind. That was the medium that I was going to kind of start my, my new side hustle with was writing and blogging and all that. And I had this post idea in mind. I really just wanted to get started writing it and I couldn't think of a name for my site. So I sat there with my fiance and we wrote down all these names and I didn't want it to be just about careers because I do eventually want to expand into helping people start their businesses online or maybe a few other avenues as well. So I was looking at a bunch of different names and I couldn't find any with the domain name available. I don't know if, if you ran into this when you were naming Career Metis or if anybody listening has run into this, but it, it's kind of hard because you not only have to come up with a cool name, but then the domain has to be available for you know, a reasonable price. And so I eventually, you know, one day I got so frustrated that I just looked through the list and I picked the one that sounded coolest to me and, and that was Cultivated Cultures. So I bought the domain, I set up the website and, and haven't looked back since. That's amazing. The reason I chuckle when you say that is I've had the same battle. Uh, I would have loved to call it careeradvice.com. Of course, it's not available. Mm-hmm. And uh, what I also like about what he just said is we both are very similar I have a full-time career as well, uh, yourself as well. Both of us run our businesses part-time. And th- there is something about having a side hustle and how much of an impact it has on your full-time career. You mentioned something during an interview that you uh, were able to, um, I'm just actually, you mentioned something and I want to clarify this. How has your side hustle helped you in your full-time career? Uh, that's a great question. So for me, I would say that, I, that my career is actually based off of my side hustles in the past, um, plural. So I've had, I've had a side hustle basically since I entered the professional world. And that sort of stemmed from my background and my career trajectory. So to really fully understand that and, and answer the question, I think we kind of have to go back to the beginning. And in this case, that kind of starts in college. And I went to Wake Forest University down in North Carolina. I was studying biology. When I first got there, I hoped to, you know, I had plans to be a doctor, I think, as, mm-hmm. as everybody does at some point in their life. Yeah. And I, I showed up on campus first semester. <clears throat> I was introduced to this thing called uh, Greek life with all the parties and the booze and all that good stuff. And I went to a boarding school where we didn't have a lot of that. And so I promptly, if I failed chemistry my first semester, I failed French shortly thereafter. And uh, that was that was not the best start to uh, future Dr. Austin Belsack's medical career. So I had to pivot out of there a little bit. And uh, long story short, I just I sort of chose to have more fun in college than focus on the academic side of things. And so when I graduated, I had I, I did graduate on time, which was somewhat of a miracle. But I, I had a 2.5 GPA, which is incredibly low. I had my biology degree, and I had a job in medicine that was kind of handed to me. 
my roommate's dad was a, a doctor and they had, he's an orthopedic surgeon and they worked with the medical device sales company, which basically if you know of anybody who's gotten a knee replacement or a hip replacement or a shoulder replacement, this company makes the, the implants that kind of go in during the surgery that will kind of replace that joint. So I, I was working for, uh, he, he got me a job at one of the, at that company that creates the implants. And so I, I just took it knowing that I could coast for the rest of senior year and I'd have a job waiting for me on the other end. And what I didn't realize was that things like salary and cost of living and you know, all of these things that you start to figure out as you enter the real world, none of that had entered my mind when I accepted the job. So I accepted it for an incredibly low pay for the area. So it was about, I was making about $35,000 a year out of college in Charlotte, North Carolina. And because of that, I could barely make ends meet. So I, I racked up about a little over $10,000 of credit card debt in, in a, the first couple of months out of school. And I, on top of that, I hated my job. So the, if uh, you've ever known somebody you've had, who's had a surgical procedure done, it's typically done early in the morning and they like to knock them out and the, and the OR is open usually around six, six thirty in the morning. So for us, we had to be there even earlier than that. But the kicker was my job. I was kind of like the, um, they called it the bullpen rep. So basically we covered North and South Carolina uh, as our territory and there were hospitals all over the place with I think max distance 10 hour drive between the two hospitals at either end of the territory at its longest point. And so it was my job if a rep couldn't make it at one of these hospitals, I had to drive out and cover for them. And so that meant I was dry, I was waking up sometimes at 3, 3.30 in the morning and driving two hours to get to a hospital by 5.30 in order to, to be there by the time surgery started at 6. So I was doing that about six days a week because Sundays I would leave just so I didn't have to wake up crazy early on Monday morning. And so I'd only have a one and a half day weekend basically. And on top of that, my boss treated me terribly. So he would always tell me that I would never amount to anything in the, in the space and I just wasn't cut out for it and I wasn't good enough. And if I was on time, I was late. And if I was early, then, you know, why wasn't I spending that time in between doing work and literally nothing that I did was correct. So I realized I had to get out of there. And so I started applying to jobs. I basically did what any of us do when we, we decide we need to make a career change. Um, I, I just started applying for jobs online. And I followed the advice that my parents gave me and uh, my guidance counselors gave me from, from Wake Forest and my friends. And, you know, I put in a bunch of applications and the, the idea was if you throw enough mud up against the wall, something's going to stick. And after about 100 applications and, and no replies, I, I was feeling a little wary of that. And so what I learned, I and mean, we can dive deeper into the story a little bit more, but to kind of come full circle and answer your question, I realized that nobody would take a chance on me because I, I wanted to break into a, a company like a Google or a Microsoft or Facebook, one of these really prominent tech companies that's influencing people on a global scale. And I didn't have any experience in sales or marketing or technology at all. And so in order to get that experience, I actually ended up teaching myself digital marketing. So I took some courses online and then I got some certifications and then I leveraged those certifications to book some clients. So I, I went out and I pitched businesses. It was a very, very niche market in real estate. And I ended up kind of finding a, a spot that worked. So I booked a couple of clients. And so if you fast forward to when I landed my job at Microsoft or also when I was interviewing at Google and interviewing at Twitter, 
all three of those companies, I, I got as far as I did because I really leveraged the experience that I built through my side hustle versus my traditional career path. Because at the time when I was interviewing for those companies, I had a little less than two years of professional experience and nine months of that was in medicine. So again, not your, not your traditional qualification. So I had to leverage my side hustle to land the job I love. And I think that's a fantastic reason for anybody out there if, if they're looking to switch careers or if they're looking to accelerate their own career that it's starting something on the side and just teaching yourself and getting out there and building real world results for yourself, that's going to speak volumes. And it's amazing because we have the the day and age that we live in, all that information, you can learn pretty much any, anything online for free these days and then go out and apply it. Wow. Um, <laughs> no, that, that, that is fantastic because there's a lot of things I got from there. One, of course, you gave everyone a call to action. I always love that because it is you shared a personal story and then you ask people to take an act, take, take call to action. That's amazing. I've done these interviews with, as, you, as I mentioned at the beginning, I have 99 episodes. One of the common theme I've come across is almost anyone I've had as a guest, either in any series I've done, there's two things in common. They all taken a nonlinear career path, meaning they did not know out of college. The where they are today is not what they had envisioned out of college or out of university. Second, they constantly reinvest in themselves, time or they're always learning. And as a result of which, they are where they are today. And you seem to have the same path. So, of course, as you shared, you went from medicine to what you're doing today. Now you're also with the side hustle helping others. And, and you took it upon yourself and you created your own path. And that should be inspiring in itself to anyone listening because you just showed that it is possible like making a drastic change from medicine to digital marketing. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and it is possible. So I've seen the same thing. And sorry, you're, you're a great example yourself with career medicine on top of your full-time job. But uh, everybody I know who's been incredibly successful in their careers stepped outside of the box a little bit. They realized, okay, if I, you know, if I want to, achieve results that I've never gotten before, I need to do something that I've never done before. And sometimes there isn't really a roadmap out there for it. You just have to go out and just get started and, and see what works. But if you want to change industries, you, you don't have to do what you went to college for. Or even if you've worked in an industry for 10 years or 20 years at this point, that doesn't mean that you have to spend the next 10 or 20 years in that same industry. There's, there's so many options out there today. And, and every day I feel like it's always crazy to me. I mean, I, I don't know if you get this too at Career Metis, but with the thousands of people that come through my community and talk to me about the jobs that they're looking for, the jobs that they have, it never ceases to amaze me how there's sort of a, a job for everything and jobs that, you know, I've never, ever heard of before, but sound in, incredibly cool. And so if you're not happy with your career right now, and you want to do something else, uh, I'd really challenge you to, to think about what it is you, you want to do, what you're interested in. And it doesn't necessarily have to fit into this, you know, clean bucket of sales or marketing or business development or software development or any of that. Just think of, you know, what would be the coolest thing that, that I could do? What, what would I love to be doing? And then go out there and look, because I think you'd be surprised. There are already people out there who are doing it, who are getting paid well to do it. And they're kind of living the dream that, that you hope to live. 
And as soon as you find those people, that's step one in the path, right? Then you can reach out to them and say, hey, how, how did you do this? You know, I know that there's, I know that there isn't a linear path to this. I know that you can't get a college degree in, you know, creating blockchain technology in the cryptocurrency space. Or I know right. that you can't just go to graduate school for X, Y, or Z. So how, how did you make this happen? What skills did you leverage? What courses did you take? Who did you talk to? What mistakes did you make that, that I should avoid? And you can gain all this knowledge. And then also those people are in the best position to refer you into a job opening for what you're looking for because they're on a team that's already doing it. So I, th- I think to everybody out there, just because you don't have to be satisfied with just a cookie cutter job or whatever job you're in, just because it's what you went to school for, it's what your parents told you to do, or because you make a lot of money and you can afford the BMW or the nice house. And that's what society tells you is right. I think I've, and I've seen time and time again with, with highly successful people, if they're willing to kind of start from scratch and be a student again and and really be ready to learn and put in the work that they can successfully transition into something new that they want to do. But not only that, be highly successful at it. So actually get paid well to do it. And they're so much happier because now they're doing something that they actually love rather than something that they've just been told to do or felt like they were expected to do because of the way that the job market is structured and the, the current, our current society kind of talks about jobs and careers and things of that nature. That's amazing because you also shared another great advice here. Find people outside your circle who are already doing successfully what you're doing. All you need to do, and you can reach out to them and then you can gain the steps they took and learn about what they took and you can do the same thing. So far, Austin, we have covered like, for example, why someone needs to reach out to someone outside in a particular industry, why a side hustle is important and what are some of the steps they can take, uh, like, or what, what the idea of unconventional job search looks like. But now I want to switch gears a little bit and ask you about the how, some actionable insights, because on your website, you say you teach others unconventional strategies to land jobs they love without connections, without traditional experience, without applying online. Would you mind sharing some steps or some ideas? Absolutely. Yeah. So I think the main thing to understand is uh, that the current hiring process, in my opinion, at least is broken. And I think that a lot of people have seen this firsthand when you spend hours tweaking your resume and your cover letter and you come up with some great application questions and you apply online and then you wait and you have your fingers crossed and you feel like things are totally out of your control. And then maybe you don't hear back at all, or maybe you hear back and it's a no, or sometimes you get the interview and then they're, that you're told that they're moving on with somebody who has more experience. And it's tough because in most cases, most people let the companies sort of control the search they control the outcome. And it probably, you're probably thinking, all right, well, you know, the company's the one making the hiring decision. So yeah, of, of course they control the outcome. But truly throughout the process, I think a lot of people take more of a passive approach. And there's so much competition out there today that 
uh, if you're, if you're doing the same thing that everybody else is doing, you're going to have a really, really hard time landing a job that you truly love or landing a job that pays really well, or has a lot of flexibility, great benefits at a great company because all those jobs, people know what those jobs look like. And those are the ones that have the most competition, right? And so if, if we actually break down some of the numbers here, there's uh, LinkedIn recently did a survey of all the, the employed folks out there. And they basically found that one in three people are looking for new work at any given time. So as of September of last year, I believe the employed population in the U.S. was 120 million. So that's about 40 million people looking for jobs at any given time, which is really, that's a ton of people. That's a lot of competition. But it gets more interesting when we look at how those people go about applying for jobs. So that same study basically showed that 75% of people apply for jobs online. So that's their main means of, of getting their foot in the door. So you have 75% of people applying for these jobs and only about 2% of those people end up landing an interview and only one gets hired. So I, I think uh, on average at a, a fairly well-known company, the, the average number of resumes applications is about 300, 300 to 350. And so at, at the end of the day, one gets hired and 75% of those people are applying online. So you're competing with a, a whole lot of people and the chances of you actually landing the interview is, is around 2%. So very, very slim. And then only one person gets hired. So you're looking at a one in 350 chance of being hired when you're following that path. And those odds really aren't great. And to add on top of that, one of the things that I hear a lot from the folks in my audience and that I experienced myself is that when you look at the credentials for a job, you think, wow, I, I don't fit any of these. So, you know, you want the job and you have two experience, two years of experience rather, but it requires five or it requires you to have knowledge of X, Y, and Z platforms and you've barely used one of them. And what, what's happening is when you are applying online, you're coming up against a lot of other people who do fit those traditional credentials. They looked at that job application and they said, oh, I, I fit these. So maybe, you know, I think I have a decent shot of getting this. And so if you're coming from a non-traditional background, you know, like myself, a biology major with a job in medicine trying to transition into tech, or if you're trying to make any sort of career pivot where your experience doesn't 100% line up with the job description, it can be really, really tough because when the only thing you're being judged against is your resume, your cover letter, and a few application questions, uh, it's going to be really tough to beat out the person who has more experience at a better brand name with you know better quantitative results, a higher GPA, they went to a better school, they have more extracurriculars, right? It's going to be tough to beat out that person when you're just competing on those standard metrics of the resume, the cover letter, et cetera. And so if we do want to win jobs over these people, we, we have to find another way to get our foot in the door. And for me, I really realized this when after I had sent in those 100 applications, I, I started thinking, you know, this isn't working and I need to, I need to find another door. And there's an, there's an entrepreneur out there. His name is Alex Banian, and he has a, a fun little concept called the third door. So he basically says that life and business and success are kind of like a nightclub where there's three entrances. So you have the first door and that's where 99% of the people line up. You know, they're waiting for, you know, the, the, the clubs at capacity, they're waiting for the next five people to leave. So five people can go in and the bouncers checking IDs. And if you don't have the right girl, to guy ratio, or you don't look fancy enough or what you're not, you're wearing shorts and you need to be wearing slacks or whatever, and you're not getting in. 
Then you have door two, which is where the VIPs and the royalty and all those people come in. So when, you know, Pharrell shows up to the club, he's just walking right in the door and uh, we're, we're not quite at that status yet, although, you know, we, we all may aspire to get there, but that's not really a viable option for us. But then there's this third door and the third door is where you have to hop out of line for the first door and you kind of have to run down the alley and hop over the dumpster and kind of crack open the window in the kitchen and sneak in and sneak through the kitchen and run up to the bar and hope nobody noticed you and then you can order your drink and and have a good time. (laughs) And that really resonated with me because that is basically the approach that my job search philosophy is, is founded on. And it, it's, it really works. So I learned that by talking to people who had non-traditional backgrounds and who broke into these amazing companies. And when I started doing some more research, I basically found that the Wall Street Journal did their own job study. And they, they basically found that only 20% of the available opportunities or roles are, are posted online. And then in addition to that, 80% of the other 80% of the roles are, are filled via word of mouth. So that's really interesting when we think about that with the data from the LinkedIn survey, where we have, we have 75% of people applying for jobs online, but now the Wall Street Journal is telling us that only 20% of available jobs are ever posted online. So you have, you know, three quarters of the job population vying for only a fraction of the available roles that are out there. But if you can figure out a way to become somebody who gets hired via word of mouth, via referral, all of a sudden you're part of 20, 25% of people out there who are vying for these 80% of jobs. And that is a really, really big switch, right? There's far less competition. There's far more jobs. And actually there's a, there's a third site. I'm forgetting the name right now, but they, they looked into the Wall Street Journal article or survey and they did some of their own research and they found that of those 80%, or more pay over six figures a year. So some of the highest paying jobs in the country and on the planet are filled via referral. And that makes sense, right? You know, if you're going to pay somebody a a whole lot of money and expect great results, you probably want that person to be a known quantity. You want to have somebody vouching for them. And that was really a light bulb moment for me because it gave me that third door opportunity. It gave me another way in that, you know, would, it gave somebody like me hope with my non-traditional background and my terrible GPA and my crazy aspirations to work at these companies like Google or Microsoft. So what I did was I, I did what I mentioned before. I found people who started, uh, or sorry, who, who were already working in the job that I wanted. One of the, the mantras that I live by is to only take advice from people who already have what you want. And so when we think about careers and stuff, you know, a lot of us go to our parents or our friends or guidance counselors or career blogs for advice. And you have to be very careful because while my friends and my parents are and and the guidance counselors and the, the career gurus are all successful in their own right, not many of them made the transition that I wanted to make. Not many of them graduated with a bad GPA and a science degree and were trying to break into Google. You know, my mom was in finance for her whole life and my friends, a lot of them went into finance and my dad was an entrepreneur and they were all very successful, but the advice that they had wasn't very relevant to the situation that I was in. And that was a light bulb moment for me too, because, you know, those are the people that we always go to for advice when we need anything in life. They're kind of like our, our immediate circle to ask. So when I started getting advice and requesting advice from people who had gone through what I wanted, I, I learned a ton. 
So I'd say that's step one for, for people who are, are listening. If they want to make, regardless of whether you want to change industries or you just want a new job in your industry or whatever, the first thing to do is to find people who are already working in the role that you want and then to reach out to them. So what I did was I, I typically recommend that people build out a pipeline. So I, I usually recommend 80 to 100 people, which sounds really, really daunting. So I also recommend that you just start with maybe five, but just pick one company find five people working in that role and put them in, a, in an Excel spreadsheet and then have a couple columns that, that have their email address. And if you don't have their email, you can use a tool out there called the hunter.io and basically mm-hmm. plug in their name and then the company's website and it'll pop up their email address for you. So it's, it's super easy to find their contact info. You put that in the spreadsheet, you put their job title, you put their company you look at their LinkedIn page and you see if you have any points of commonality. Maybe they went to a college that was in your sports conference, or maybe they worked at a company where you used to know somebody, or they're from a town in the same state that you grew up in, or, or anything that you can kind of latch onto. And maybe you drop that note in your spreadsheet. Uh, and then you have a couple of columns to track your outreach. So did you reach out to them? Did you follow up with them? And then you just start sending these emails And the key here is to make the communication about the person on the other end, on the receiving end. A big mistake that people make when I suggest a strategy is that they start reaching out, but they say things like, hey, will you review my resume? Or, hey, I'm really interested in getting a job in in the space that you work in. Can you talk to me about it? And it's a lot of me, 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 even though it doesn't, even though you can frame it up as not seeming like it's about you, when you're mentioning the things that you want, talking about the things that you want, that's sort of the way it comes off. But if we flip that and if we say something like, you know, hey, Nassar, I saw that you work in sales at this amazing company and, but it wasn't always that way, right? You had this awesome career path and, and I was actually, I found your profile because I was browsing through LinkedIn for people who worked in sales and in the tech space and your background really, really stood out to me. So if you have a couple minutes, I just love to ask you a few questions about how you achieved these amazing things, how you made them happen. Just would love to learn a little bit more about you. And so when you frame it that way, uh, I'm saying your name a lot. I'm saying you a lot. I'm talking about your background. And I don't mention that I'm looking for a job. I don't mention my resume or what I want. And when you frame it up that way, the response rate tends to be a lot higher. And it's kind of counterintuitive. Um, building relationships, networking is kind of an interesting thing. But typically, the more that you make it about the other person, the more that you give, the more likely you are to actually receive what you want out of it, which is funky because normally it's like, you know, you, you only get it unless you ask for it, right? We're, we're told that all the time, ask for what you want. But it's weird because when it comes to networking, if you just lead with that out of the gate, most of the time you're going to be an unknown quantity, right? This person doesn't know you. They've, they've never heard of you. They've never met you. So why would they just drop everything that they're doing and look at your resume or refer you into a job or anything like that, right? So you have to build that trust. And so that starts by reaching out to them and making that, that outreach about them. And then also following up if they don't get back to you first, because again, everybody's busy just because you sent an email and they didn't reply doesn't mean they never want to talk to you again, or they you're bothering them or annoying them. Typically it's that the email fell to the bottom of their inbox. So I always recommend that people follow up five business days later if they don't hear back, but reaching out to those people and then asking them to get on the phone and have that conversation. And again, continue to make it about the other person. So talk to them about 
their career path. Talk to them about the biggest challenges they're facing. Talk to them about new initiatives they have coming up and talk to them about their personal goals. So what their ambitions are, what their next step looks like. And what you're going to get out of that is a whole lot of information, a whole lot of ammunition that you can use to add value. So if somebody has a challenge that they're facing, there's a whole bunch of ways that you can go source information and come up with a solution for them. Or if they have a new initiative coming up, you can do the same thing and add suggestions. Or maybe if their personal goal is to do more speaking in the space, or if they want to become a manager or whatever, maybe you can connect them with somebody who's already in that position. And all these things are going to be valuable. And so if you approach this as uh, being genuinely curious about the other person and genuinely interested in adding value to them, it's going to come back tenfold. So I always like to follow a give, 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 ask formula. So I tell folks to give three times before they ask. And then when they do ask, ask for something small. So maybe then you could say, hey, you know, you've given three times. And then you say, here, I'm, I'm very interested in opportunities in this space right now. I have my resume. I'm just wondering, do you think under this experience, this job title, do you think I should use bullet one or bullet two? Which one resonates more with you? And that makes it really easy for them. They look at your resume. They say, oh, bullet one definitely would, would resonate with me more. Great, thanks, boom. And that kind of plants the seed in their head that, oh, you're looking for opportunities, but you've been building the relationship. And that, that kind of, that also helps you take the first step towards making larger asks, just starting by asking for something small. Because if you come out of the gate and you're like, hey, here's my resume. Can you read over the entire thing? Find all my grammatical errors. Give me, you know, help me rework my summary, X, Y, Z, and then refer me into the job. That's, that's a whole lot of information at once. So it, it helps to take baby steps. It helps to focus on the other person. But then if you do this and you kind of systematize it where you send a couple emails a day or a couple emails a week and you're constantly adding people to your pipeline, you're constantly sending out emails every day, then you're going to start getting in this rhythm of reaching out, having conversation and then seeing what happens. And not everybody's going to be willing to refer you into the job or help you um, or be open about their challenges or anything like that. But if you have this pipeline going where you're doing this every day, this like anything else is a numbers game. Um, and you're a sales guy. I'm a sales guy. Again, it's, it comes down to numbers, right? So not every lead is going to be qualified. Not every deal is going to close. But if you have, if you know that your close rate is X percent, then you can back that out to, I need to reach out to, you know, Y number of companies in order to close the deal. And it's the same thing here. So if you get in the habit of that funnel, then you're really going to put yourself in, in a, a great position to make this happen. And so I, actually at the beginning of the podcast, you and I talked about a, uh, like a free course for folks. And normally I offer a free resume course, but based off of the question and the answer I just gave, I think I'll, I'll actually flip flop it to another course I have called jumpstart your job search. And it's a hundred percent free, but basically it's a three day video course that will walk you through the exact process I just talked about. So it will show you how to look up contacts, how to find the right people on LinkedIn, how to find their contact information, how to create that spreadsheet, how to reach out to them, what, what cold email formula works. I have a template in there and then how to systematize it. So how to get used to doing it every day. I mean, it's, it's 100% free. All you have to do is go to cultivatedculture.com forward slash career metis and you can get your free access. But yeah, that right there is basically at a very, very high level, the beginnings of the, of the job strategy, the approach that I take with anybody that comes through my community. Well, Austin, first of all, thanks for being so generous for sharing it with the community. That's awesome. I'll make sure to put that in the show notes when this episode goes live. 
But I also wanted to say that was not high level. That was very in-depth. And I appreciate you being frank and open and candidly sharing everything. You provided us with a framework and it's fantastic. So thanks for doing that. Of course. Yeah. Happy to do it. And I was taking notes as I was feverishly taking notes as you were saying all this. There's so many great ideas, but I always love when my guests give actionable step-by-step advice because someone listening to this, then there is no excuse after that, right? Mm -hmm. Then they just need to apply. So to tie this all together, I want, so you gave us the how now. I, I was wondering if you would be open to sharing a story and an example maybe like a case study, you already shared your example of how you did it for yourself. Mm-hmm. But is there anyone that in your, in your circle or your clients, you don't have to mention the name or even what they did, but I'm just curious because that always helps to drive the point of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I'm, I'm really glad you asked that because I, it definitely does help to have some concrete examples because when you know we're talking about this, this the part two of what I just mentioned is crafting what I like to call a, a value, val- value validation project. And so basically, you have these conversations with people. Hopefully, you're having conversations with multiple people in the role at the same company so that you can get different perspectives on the same role. And you're going to take all that information and then you're going to go back and think, okay, how can, how can I create something that adds value to these people? So this deliverable is, is going to be a way to package that up and basically prove out your value. And the idea here is because when we think about why companies hire they, they basically want somebody to come in who will bring them the most return for their investment. So their investment is the salary that they pay, the benefits they give the employee, and the return is how that employee impacts their bottom line. And so right now, companies feel for whatever reason that this online application process and the resume and the cover letter and all that and the interview is the best way to tease out those people. But in reality, you know, if it really came down to it, the best way to identify the best candidate, or as you like to put it, the only candidate is would be to have everybody just do the job, right? And then you could see, oh, you know, everybody did the job. Here's the best person. Here's who performed the best. But that's not really scalable, right? When you have 300 applicants, you can't bring 300 people in and have them go through this trial run and and all that. And that actually works to our advantage here because if you actually do go out and do the job on your own and then come back and present the results, that is going to separate you from everybody else who's applying online, regardless of what credentials they have, what their background looks like. And what that's also going to do is it's going to help suppress any doubts that people had about your background. So, you know, for me, I mentioned I'm coming from the the medical background and I want to break into tech and everybody told me you don't have any experience in digital. And so when I went out and I got those results with my marketing firm, then I could say, well, I don't have any traditional experience in digital, but here's what I did. I went out, I, I taught myself, I pitched all these companies myself, I performed the services myself, here are the results I got X, Y, and Z. And that was all me. So I created my own experience here. And companies love that. So to, to give some other examples of some value validation projects students have used that worked, we'll start with one that I, I really like. There was a, a girl in, in the cultivated culture community. Her name was Cam, and she was a student at a university here in the U.S. She wanted to work for Airbnb. And she'd applied online, hadn't heard back. She'd, she'd actually done the cold outreach, um, what we just talked about, and she hadn't heard back. But she wasn't going to let that stop her, right? She really, really wanted to work at Airbnb. And so what she did was she, she went to social media and she kind of poured through 
all the, the comments about Airbnb. And she tried to identify pain points. And what, we, what she was able to find was that um, there were two that really stuck out. So the first was Airbnb doesn't have a keyword filter in their search. So essentially, you know, if, I, if I'm looking to go to, let's call it, you know, Whistler up in Canada to go skiing and I want to rent an Airbnb, but I want to make sure that it has a fireplace. I can't just type in fireplace into the keyword filter and then the Airbnb won't serve up on the only results that have fireplaces. I basically need to go through all the listings and then look under the amenities and see if it has a fireplace. And that's not a great user experience. Um, so people were very frustrated by that. And then the second piece was their customer service team. So their customer service team was incredibly hard to get a hold of. And so what Cam did, she took screenshots of all of these different complaints and she, she built a deck out. And so she shared the screenshots in the deck. She said, here are your two problems. And then she actually, she was a, a designer and that was kind of her passion. And she, that's what she was studying in school. So she mocked up a new version of, of the Airbnb platform and she included the keyword search. And then she also suggested that they add a live chat function so people could easily reach the customer service center, but it was a little bit more automated and you know, these people wouldn't be frustrated anymore, but it wouldn't be hugely taxing on Airbnb. So she put that, all that information into a deck and then she followed up with all the contacts that she had reached out to initially and she got an interview 24 hours later. So that's one example. Another one that I really like was something that I read online, but there was a guy named Tristan who back when Foursquare was a a big deal, (laughs) I don't know now, six, seven, eight years or so, but when they were really hot, this guy wanted to work for Foursquare and he wanted to work in sales. So he saw that they had a sales position open and, and he had also applied online and he didn't hear anything so actually what he did was he went out and he spoke to companies who would, who would potentially be a good fit to advertise on Foursquare's platform. And he sourced basically 10 companies, 10 contacts, 10 companies who were interested in talking to Foursquare about their advertising product. And then he emailed the CEO of Foursquare and he said, hey, you have a sales position open. I want it. I applied for it. I haven't heard back, but I've got 10 people who are ready to hop on the phone and chat with you about signing up for Foursquare's products today. And I'm ready to hand them over. Would you like to hop on the phone to learn more? CEO emailed them back and he ended up getting the job, not only just as a regular salesperson, but he ended up getting a director level title right out of the gate. And I think that's a, a great, a great illustration of, you know, what we were talking about. He, instead of relying on the traditional metrics, the, the resume, the cover letter, all that, he went out there and he just did the job. And it doesn't take a lot to send a bunch of emails out. It's basically, that's why I love what I talked about earlier with the getting used to sending cold emails, systematizing that. So you send a couple a day because no matter what you want to do in life, that's going to be helpful. If you want to start a business or if you want to get a job or if you want to write an article and get it published in a place like Forbes or something like that, the cold outreach is going to make that happen for you. And so that it's not that tough to find a bunch of companies. You, if you understand what the, the what Foursquare's advertising product was, what it was offering, then he just sent out a bunch of emails until he had enough people. He framed himself, positioned himself as a supporter of Foursquare, not necessarily an employee. And then he, he rolled up there with 10 leads. And that's, you know, if I'm going to hire somebody for a sales position, am I going to hire a bunch of people who all submitted a resume or am I going to hire the person who just brought me 10 warm leads that could potentially lead to revenue, you know, within the next two weeks? Like the answer is pretty obvious. Um, so I, I really like those two examples and I think they highlight the process and why it works really well. 
I love those examples. And it's it's phenomenal what both of these candidates did. And just listening to this got me very excited. This is a topic that is career advice, job search is a topic I pay attention to every single day. And when I hear stories like this, it just gets me personally excited. And I hope the audience listening to this, they're inspired as well. Austin, I mean, I think you and I can talk about this forever. I can see <laughs> that. And Unfortunately, I hate to say this, but unfortunately, we are about to wrap up because the time has come. But this interview has been phenomenal. You shared not only the why someone has to do unconventional job search or look into it. We also shared the in, in intricate step-by-step details and you finished it with examples. So on the behalf of the audience, I'm grateful and I wanted to thank you very much for sharing all this so far. Absolutely. I really appreciate you giving me the opportunity, Nassar. Thank you so much. Thanks, everyone, for joining yet another episode of the Career Medis podcast. I have written a brief summary of the interview with the links and resources that Austin had provided during our interview. If you enjoyed this episode and also learned something new, feel free to post a comment or review. And if you loved it, uh, definitely, and you found this extremely valuable, definitely go ahead and share this amongst your network. Until next time, this is Nisar Ahmed, your host for the Career Medis Podcast. Thank you.